what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Over the past two years, there's been a well-documented exodus. I've heard it called the big quit, the great resignation. Meanwhile, the global wellness industry, for better or worse, has been booming. A lot of this is COVID-related, but it started well before then. People who've worked too hard or too much have decided they want out. Or at least, they want different. And this has been met with a collective sigh of relief. But also anxiety. Because doing less, taking care of ourselves, slowing down, it goes against the pressures a lot of us feel. If you're a woman, to lean in. If you're a man, to maybe be strong and silent. And if you're a black woman, quite possibly all of the above. I'm AC Rowe, and this is The Doc Project. Today's show starts with three little words. No, not I love you, though I do. Strong black woman. This is a term Michaela Van Kooten has identified with for most of her life. But a number of years ago, that identity started to fracture. So she set out to document that. The history of the strong black woman stereotype. Where it came from why, and to take a close look at how trying to live up to it has affected her life. Today, we've got two stories about figuring yourself out and saying no to whoever society has decided you need to be. But first, here's my new friend and yours, Michaela Van Kooten. My path to becoming a strong Black woman, or SBW, started in my tweens. As everything, from getting into an advanced high school to sports to being liked back by my crushes, felt more competitive. I was about 11 or 12 when I remember my dad saying, you are black, you have to work twice as hard to succeed. I'd already heard my first racial slur yelled at me by a little blonde boy with a bowl cut in my mostly white neighborhood. So when I heard my dad say I had to try harder just to fit in, I got it and I took it to heart. I grew up with my dad from 11 through much of high school. And that whole time, I don't think he ever actually said, be a strong black woman. It was more that the characteristics of one were rewarded. The positive reinforcement for donning the strong black woman cape, it was everywhere. Not only my dad, but my family, friends, and my communities. They were all proud to see me represent the goodness of the black community in white spaces. I had to outwardly project intelligence, athleticism, physical and mental toughness, confidence and self-assuredness, focus, independence, excellence, perfectionism, the capability of falling down and getting right back up, and the ability to lead and caretake. My dad knew I had to be excellent in all areas to gain access to the opportunities that white kids took for granted. He knew this because that's how it was for him. And he has always believed women could do anything men can do, and more. 
and more is exactly what I did. In elementary school, I was used to winning awards in track and field. I had a coach at school, and my dad coached me at home. He was a track and field star in Guyana in his day, and he wanted to teach me how to win. And I would win. A lot. I also played volleyball, and of course I got all A's. If there was a test with a bonus question, I had to get all the answers, including the bonus. I could get a perfect grade and still feel like I hadn't done enough. In high school, I was class precept, and I was in the gifted program. I played soccer, and I helped co-found our high school's first African-Canadian student club. By university, I not only had the characteristics of, but I started to actually use the term strong black woman to identify myself and align with other SBWs. I had taken on the full-length cape, and I met a group of five other women just like me. We were all strong-ass Black women. That's why we hung out together. I knew everything about everything. I was wise. <laughs> uh-uh. I was a fool in so many ways. This is my longtime friend, Claudia. My name is Claudia Chambers. I am a physician, and I am a dean, and I have two beautiful kids, and yeah, that's me. She means to say she is Dr. Claudia Chambers, award-winning OBGYN and the assistant dean of a medical school. And she has her MBA. Claudia's work ethic makes me look like the lazy one. We both went to McMaster University. How would you have described us as university students? Like, was there, is there any description that comes to mind? Delusional is not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, really more... I would say we were always just thinking of the next thing, mm. really focused on tomorrow. Yes, that's so true. I think we thought we were like untouchable. Yes, that's the word. <laughs> untouchable. That's it. While I was getting fitted for my strong black woman cape, Claudia was already leaping tall buildings in a single bound. I have this memory of her running up a mountain in 43 degrees Celsius weather. I watched her do this while I sat panting on a rock near the bottom. Claudia was the OG strong black woman superhero to me. Would you say that we all thought that we were strong black women? I think yes. Yes. You know, highly motivated, educated, or at least seeking education, independent, um, didn't need anybody. Yes. Um, yes. Self-reliant. Yeah. And I remembered um, very specifically, there was a guy that liked you and you were trying to decide if you were going to give him a chance. Mm. Do you, you, do mm -hmm. you remember this? Mm -hmm. uh, I remember you saying something like, oh, I broke. Like, and I, I took it to mean that like you had, like you were developing feelings. Like he kind of broke you, like like broke you down and you, and it made you feel vulnerable. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. At that point, I felt like there was weakness in allowing somebody to have that kind of power over you. Um, I don't know that I define strength the same way now. It's not the way she would define strength now. But for me, I developed a complete distaste for the word. About six years ago, I stopped wanting to be called strong at all. 
The change started one night while I was walking to my car. It was late and dark and it had rained, so the streetlights were causing the asphalt to shine in places, as if under spotlights. I found myself admiring the shimmering streets. As I made my way to the car, a bus passed me. It was painted over with one of those giant ad murals, and this particular ad was centered on a black woman. She was standing, hands on hips, with her natural curly hair framing her face. She looked confident and self-assured, and maybe a little smug. And she was larger than life, grinning down at me from the massive mural. I felt proud. She was important. I was important. Then I saw them, placed beside her left elbow. Those words... They smacked me in the face and knocked the wind right out of me. Those words that night started a journey I am still on now. She is a strong black woman. I don't even remember what the ad was about. I just remember and can't forget those words. She is a strong black woman. Suddenly, a switch flipped. I felt like there was a demand on me that I should be strong, and nothing else. And I made a decision, standing on that street. No matter how much the world wanted me to wear the cape of the strong black woman, I would not take it. I would give that mantle right back to them. You know what's interesting is, I think just anecdotally, if I ask many black women, like, what does it mean to be a black woman? Strong is often the word that comes up. Like, often that is the word, one of the first words or the only word that people can kind of come to consensus about what it means to be a black woman. Akila Reynolds, PhD, is a busy person. She starts her interview while feeding her baby. Here you go. Here you go. I'm a licensed psychologist in California. I work in private practice at The Black Girl Doctor. We provide virtual therapy to professional Black women. We're meeting over video chat to talk about her study of the strong Black woman schema, as she calls it. Yeah, so I'm the co-author of In Their Own Words, The Meaning of the Strong Black Woman Schema Among Black U.S. College Women. So what would be the definition of a strong Black woman? It really is about three characteristics. So one thing is having like emotional fortitude, so being able to really withstand a lot emotionally without sweating, without even necessarily emoting or expressing how you feel. The second one is independence, like fierce independence, being able to do it on your own. And then the third thing is really about caretaking. So taking care of other people, which often happens to be at the expense of yourself. And I, I think what's important about the strong black woman is because it it's something it's like a stereotype and also like an identity or what we might call a schema, which is a cognitive representation of who you are, a self schema. And it's kind of like both. So can you tell us a bit about the study? There were three stereotypes that I was looking at to see did black women sort of endorse these stereotypes. One was the Jezebel, and this is the idea or the stereotype that Black women are sexually promiscuous. The other one is this idea of sapphire. And essentially, sapphire is um, basically like the angry Black woman. She's really spicy and very like domineering. 
And then the third one was the strong black woman. The black woman in my study, they rejected typically um, the vision of black women as angry or sapphire. And then also the stereotype of black women as being um, sexually promiscuous or like Jezebel. What I did see was not this rejection, though, of the strong black woman schema. I asked Tequila how women start to take on the strong black woman identity. They're being socialized into that identity by the women in their lives, their mothers, their grandmothers. They're teaching you, like, if you want to make it in this world, particularly as a black woman, you've got to be strong. And what's interesting is that for me, it was not my mom. Um, It was my dad. Mm. Um, And he was the one who said you have to work twice as hard. And um, wow. Yeah. And that you have to be strong and you have to be independent. You have to be resilient and you have to stand out. That makes a lot of sense. Um, You talked a tiny bit about it, but I wanted to understand more about the history. It's it's really a stereotype that originated, I'd say, like from slavery times where to justify the exploitation, the abuse, the mistreatment of Black women from slavery onto Jim Crow, onto present day, um, you know, microaggressions and, and just all out racism and, and sort of just micro assaults too. You have to other someone. You know, you you can't look at another human being and say it's okay to subjugate you to to, to enslave you. It's okay to abuse you as another human being. So basically um, this idea misrepresentation of black women as sort of inhumanely strong, like strong could take on anything was a way to justify their abuse or our abuse. And so I think what's happened though over time and kind of what we've seen in literature and in such is that black women have then come to adopt the strong black woman to kind of like take it back. The way I see it, Being an SBW takes away a Black woman's right to express sadness, pain, and even joy. It takes away her right to be fully human. Akilah sees it a little differently. I've kind of had adapted a more balanced perspective on it. From research, there's also indications of some positive effects or uh, impacts of being strong for Black women the idea that um, you can kind of be resilient and actually make it in the face of so many obstacles of, of in the face of oppression. That's very valuable and important to Black women because if we didn't have that, then how can you survive something like slavery? How can you survive even some of current day racism, discrimination, microaggressions without that willpower to survive? Has there been a moment that stands out for you when you experienced yourself in that embodiment of the strong Black woman? Mm. I, I try to do it less now, but I still see it creeping up. Like even, I mean, we can give this example, like taking care of my, my son. Um, you know, I could have easily gone in there and said, I need help right now. <laughs> but I'm trying to do it all. Like I'm trying to be super mom and to care for him and be nurturing, but also um, get back into the work world and do fun and exciting things like this. Yeah, yeah. So I have like this story that I've just kind of recently remembered. And so in high school, um, you know, God bless them. My dad and my stepmother surprised me with a car, but it wasn't a car that I got to have for free. (laughs) (laughs) So the surprise was, yes, there's a car, but you have to pay for it. Right. (laughs) You got a car. Now you got to (laughs) work. Good news, bad news. (laughs) 
Um, so I got a job um, doing like an adult paper route, which is basically delivering like people's newspapers. And so that meant I had to wake up around 2 a.m., some to- depending on the length of my route, between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. And I had to get to school by 8 a.m. And if I had like a major test to study for, I would pull all-nighters. And then I would go to this paper route and then I would go to school and then my day would happen and then would see if we would sleep the next night. And I would, I would chug sugar packets to stay awake. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Yeah. And there were times when I would hallucinate. Like one time was very vividly. I thought I saw a truck like cutting across in front of me. So I'm breaking. And then I blinked again and it wasn't there. Mm. and yeah you were it was bad and the thing is the concept I had was like my body Mm. will do it because I'll tell my body to Mm -hmm. do it and it'll happen and there was no concept Mm. of like do I need time for rest or Mm. do I need to plan my life differently if I'm going to do this it was just like no well I can physically do this so I'm going to do this and the only time I stopped was after I know I'd like I'd gotten home and not known how I got there. And then, yeah. And that was when I was like, Oh wow. Like, I don't actually know how I got home. Wow. But I really was attached to like, I need to show I can do this. I need, it's almost like, don't take this from me because this is proving that I am powerful. I am capable. I am strong. Like I just remembered that recently and that I was 17. Yeah. Almost immediately after I saw that ad on the bus, I began renouncing the strong black woman title for myself. No one could call me that to my face. And I stopped using it to describe women I admire. Alice Walker, Toni Morrison, Maya Angelou, Oprah Winfrey, and of course, the incomparable Cookie from Empire. I would allow myself to be honest that I wanted to be seen as more than strong. I began to gag every time I heard a black reality TV contestant brag about being a strong black woman, praise their mother for being a strong black woman, or say they are looking to date a strong black woman. I started to consider how my actions were reinforcing the stereotype in my life. I am in healthcare admin and I work in proximity to patients. When the pandemic hit and I was asked to work full-time on a COVID-only unit, I said yes. I worked 16-hour shifts, and sometimes I worked 8 to 11 days straight. Then, in the summer of 2021, I hit a wall. I would wake up and remember I had booked myself for a 16-hour shift, and I would cry. I would cry, and then I would go to work. I was burnt out and tired of acting like a savior. I was having to do things I no longer wanted to do. I had to be unwavering and reliable and more concerned with the well-being of others than my own. I felt trapped. It got to where I was crying every other day. I realized for me, the strong black woman was not just a stereotype. It had become my identity. I hadn't stopped being that person just because I had refused to let those words be used to describe me. Then I realized something, a little frightening, yet somehow freeing. 
Whatever my dad or community or society was pushing on me, ultimately, I am choosing this. I am the one who decided that I could never say no. I needed something to change for real this time. I love therapy. I have done it for years. But there was this moment with my current therapist that just clicked. She asked why I had kept so many plates in the air. It made me stop and think. Like, really think. I started to pivot inwards, towards my emotions being worthy of expression, and towards my self-care. And it's still happening in really small increments, like the many stops and starts you make when you're just learning how to make a three-point turn. Clinical psychologist Akila Reynolds also talked about this pivot. It's mostly one that's showing up for younger Black women. Even though, I mean, in our study, it was still important to many women. But the traditional characteristics and like having, like silencing yourself, especially silencing yourself, is not something that we're seeing is as strong for younger women, basically. And I think that kind of speaks to the time that we're in, that perhaps like wellness is really important right now. Self-care is really important right now. It's becoming more important at least. There is a new wave of Black women standing up for their self-care, like Simone Biles. As an Olympic gymnast, she epitomizes the modern superhero. And yet, she took a very public stand for her self-care. Biles made that decision on one of the biggest world stages, the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics. She later said she made the choice to withdraw from competition to protect not just her physical health, but her mental health. In interviews, Biles described how her confidence was being affected by stress, but more importantly, she had lost her connection to her body. It was no longer doing what she was telling it to do. She was experiencing the twisties. Jordan Weber, a member of the 2012 Olympics gold medal team, explained the twisties like this. You get lost in the air. You don't know where you are. You don't know where the ground is. You don't know how many times you're twisting. And you can't control how many times you're twisting. Weber said that Biles is doing some of the most difficult skills in the entire world. And if you're not mentally in a great place or have the twisties, then that can be a matter of life or death. I am not an Olympic gymnast, but the twisties, I get it. When you're trying to do a million impossible things or twist yourself into a pretzel midair, eventually your body just says no. To me, it's obvious why Biles chose her life over another Olympic medal. Even the OG strong black woman in my life, Claudia, is changing her relationship to the SBW identity. I would say the moment that it happened for me was about a year and a half ago. Um, when my husband got sick. Um, and I realized that my work and all the things that I had made the measure of who I am, as far as being a strong Black woman, um, stopped having the same value. Um, I started to realize the things that mattered the most to me were the things that maybe others didn't value as much my family, my husband, my, um, my peace, maybe the world right now as, as the world sees it, 
doesn't value those things as much. But I realized that that was for me where the paradigm shifted. Um, and I had better understanding of what being a strong black woman meant to me. It meant being okay with being vulnerable and afraid and changing course and setting boundaries. And it was okay to say no. But how does my friend feel about strength now? That strength comes, it came at a cost. And what I thought was strength before wasn't even close to strength. <laughs> um, no, um, strength actually comes in weakness. It comes in transparency. It comes with failures. It comes with vulnerability um, and being able to face it, accept it, embrace it, and still move forward. It's getting to the point of, I'm enough. It really is about getting to the point of being enough. That's what I started to come to in my therapist's office. That if I stop moving so damn fast, could I be enough as I am? But before I can fully put the strong black woman cape in the closet, there's one more person I need to talk to. Okay, the red button is blinking, so I guess, yeah, it's going. I eventually tracked down my dad. He's retired and still has the most hectic schedule of anyone I know. My name is Michael Van Kooten, former publisher, editor of Pride News Magazine, founder and CEO of the African Canadian Achievement Awards, the extremely proud husband and father of six wonderful children, including Michaela Van Kooten. I love my dad. And I'm grateful for the influence he's brought to my life. But I need to ask him if he's ever second-guessed the whole strong black woman thing and tell him the mixed feelings I'm having about it. And I am very nervous. I was living with you and Donna, I believe from grade six, so like 11. And I that was kind of around that time is when I remember us having a conversation. And you were saying that, you know, you have to work twice as hard when you're black because you're black if you want to have the opportunities that other people are getting and that was pretty important to me because I always kept that in my mind like okay 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 dad knows what he's talking about so I have to always like be strong and I always have to be smart and do all the things excellently um do you remember that yes I do but with respect specifically to women it's even worse because women are not only dealing with racism, they're dealing with sexism. And as a black woman, you have this double whammy pursuing you throughout your life. So you have to be that much stronger to overcome. So it, it, it can either make you become overwhelmed and crumble or, like you, it can make you stand up strong. Like, did you... Okay, so I'm trying to have an understanding. Like, when you said that, did you have specific qualities in your mind of what... I needed to be or who I need, how I would turn out? I saw you as possessing qualities like determination, persistence, um, a refusal to succumb to pressures, uh, independence, those kind of positive, strong characters I, I, I saw in you. And I, I just kind of, um, but you already had the foundation. I just needed to channel it. That's the right word, to channel it properly. Okay, when you were kind of teaching me these things or molding what I already had, did you ever have the thought in your mind that she's going to be a strong black woman or want her to be a strong black woman in those words? Most definitely. 
Okay. No question. <laughs> when I think of a strong woman, I think of Harriet Tubman, who selflessly not only freed herself, but kept going back and bringing slaves over to Canada over and over again and risking her own life. That's, that, that's strength. So far, this is going exactly how I thought it would. My dad low-key expecting me to be the next Harriet Tubman. But then my dad says something that completely catches me off guard. It puts a tremendous burden on young Black women to kind of live up to those stereotypes. How do you as a Black woman know who's well, asking the questions? Yeah, I was about <laughs> to say. Do you feel a sense of a burden? Who's <laughs> doing the interview again? Yeah. Um, there was a moment that I hit when I was really, really, really exhausted and really overwhelmed. I just started to hit the wall because I would, I would, sometimes I would cry. Sometimes I would be like, I'm so tired. I don't know why I booked myself for a 16 hour shift today because mm -hmm. I am tired and I wouldn't, I'm kind of the, I'm not the kind of person that breaks my word if I say I'm going to do something. So I would still do it. Like some people would just call in sick, but I would still do it. Right. Well, what does that mean to me now? Because I do appreciate all the characteristics I have that I've developed that help me to move through barriers and to be respected. But there's elements of where I haven't asked for help or some kind of subconscious thing happening. And I've been looking at that because mm -hmm. I almost, I don't know, some people have different ideas about what strong means. It can incorporate all kinds of things, but I have a bit of an aversion to the word, not to the positive characteristics, but to some of the things I felt like I haven't been able to, like express emotion or be taken seriously or be even taken care of by a partner. I end up in relationships where I'm doing all the caring mm -hmm. for. And there's nothing f that I am given in, in return. So I wondered what you thought about that, like kind of where I'm at with kind of sorting that out for myself. I think it's a good place, and I think it reflects another aspect of your personality that I admire, which is respect, self-respect. And that calls for strength in the face of all these people expecting with these huge expectations. You can say, nope. So does that change your ideas about the strong black woman uh, trope, stereotype, identity at all? Um, no, I don't find that the two cannot exist at the same time in my mind. Um, I can still appreciate the strong black woman. Um, I can still appreciate my grandmother and the Harriet Tubmans, etc. And I can appreciate the younger person who's saying this is putting a, a huge, you know, um, pressure on me. You have the vision and the strength and the belief in yourself. That's that, that's the, that pos mental positive attitude is what I admire in you. And I'm very proud. Oh, thanks, Dad. Oh, I might cry by the end of this. We don't know. That's why I wouldn't go on any further because you'll just start bawling your eyes out. <laughs> All right. I love you. Love you too, honey. Bye-bye. Taking off the cape of the strong black woman, that leaves just me. And now I'm trying to figure out who am I going to be? I'd never given myself the space to really know what needs my body, mind, and emotions had before. I was totally disconnected. I'm now learning what I need and how I can set boundaries, so I'm not doing more than I can or want to do. 
Now I treat my emotions and experiences as real and valid. I still find myself doing too much, or a friend will point it out, but now I actually listen and find myself wondering, what is a normal amount of work and rest and play? And these are good questions. I am still a powerful, passionate, resourceful, single-minded of purpose woman. And I relish the catharsis of a really good freaking cry. And I'm not embarrassed if it happens in front of other people. As a wise person once said to me, these two things can coexist. No, I don't find that the two cannot exist at the same time in my mind. A complete, whole person. Michaela Van Kooten. That doc was produced by Michaela and me, AC Rowe. It was edited by Sherry OKK. Okay, coming up, we follow the catwalk to the Montreal ballroom scene. We'll be right back. I hate the sentence strong black woman because that's there's so many stigma. Like I can't be emotional, I can't be because I need to be that superhero of woman. Um, and also being a plus size black woman. Oh my God, I need to be that, that spokesperson. I just want to live my life, <laughs> you know? This is Deanne, kind of. It's important for me to be called Deanne today because I am close with my mom um, about my queerness and some few people in my family that I know I'm very queer and proud and loud. Um, however, not everyone um, in my family knows. Um, they're very Catholic. Um, some of them are pastors. Um, and I do not want my queerness to be to affect negatively my mom. Because they're not going to judge me. They're going to judge my mom. As in like, oh, you see, her daughter is queer. Ugh. You know? So that's why it's important for me to be called Dan. To protect not only myself. But my mom, because I hate when people talk bad about my mom. My mom did a great job. My mom did great. I'm in university today. (laughs) She did great. (laughs) That confidence you hear in Deanne's voice, even when she's scared for her mom, the seed for that was planted a few years ago at Montreal Pride. I was a volunteer and I was able on one of my breaks to go see a ballroom uh, event. And that was my first time seeing it. Um, ever. I was like, oh my god, this is a show. It's a show. And my friend told me, no, it's not a show. It's like a contest where people in different categories perform and win. Ballroom is usually associated with its birthplace, 1980s New York City, when queer and trans people of color banded together to forge their own community, one based around love and safety, but also fierce competition over style and performance. During the past 40 years, ballroom has taken hold. It's captured a whole new generation. I went and I saw drag queens, drag kings. Uh, I saw so many colorful like dresses, so many people dancing, walking. I never saw people walk like that in my life. Like Naomi Cabo had nothing on those people. Like it was like amazing how they were just like confident and like colorful. 
So when I saw them just performing and being comfortable in their queerness and like different body shapes, it was love at first sight when I saw that. Because I felt so safe. Everybody was so kind. That safety and kindness is core to ballroom's creation. And in a way, it's survival. Deanne will take it from here. I am a plus-size Black Haitian woman in university. And yeah, that's how I like to describe myself because um, I like to start with the plus size because that's what people see. Um, and black because I am clearly black. Um, Haitian descent because like I'm very happy about being Haitian and like I grew up in Haiti and came here. Um, but like the Haitian flavor and feistiness is still in me. Ballroom for me... It's a new world, a new adventure, a new, like, it's, how can I explain it? It's like, you know when you were a kid and you had your special blanket and then it just came out of the washer and it's still warm, but it still feels like, like, it's strange because like, it's not, doesn't have the same smell, but it still feels at home. That's how ballroom feels for me. It's like warm, kind of strange, like kind of like I know what it is. But I want to know her better. Like, I want to have my scent on it and, like, be with it. It's a strange, like, metaphor. But, like, (laughs) that's how I see it. In 2021, with the lockdown and everything, I felt a little lost in, like, my self-expression. I was gaining weight. I mean, I was always plus-size, but I was really getting more weight. And I didn't know how to move within my body. And one of my closest friends who is a performer in the ballroom scene, told me there's a kiki ball. A kiki ball is like a small gathering. And there's a category called big girl. You should definitely go and perform. And I was like, me? Oh my God. No, I don't know. But I'm big. And she was like, well, it's the name of the category. (laughs) That's what we want to see. And um, that friend of mine has helped me in so many ways. Like, she told me, ballroom don't care if you're plus size, if you're not plus size, if you're skinny, if you're medium, if you're square, right tri- triangle, they don't care. You just need to work it. And until you work it, until you have confidence, and t- until you like you perform, they're going to live for you. And they're going to, you know, like love what you do. So that made me feel comfortable because it's so weird that you see like, plus-size bodies actually being celebrated in media or, like, in normal life. Like, I know there's, like, plus-size models, but the plus-size models always have, like, a flat stomach and just curvy. But that's not what plus-size is. Like, we have a gut, you know, thighs and everything. So I was like, oh, um, I don't know if I want people to judge me. And she was, like, so mad at me because I said judge. She's like, nobody's gonna judge you. They're going to judge the way you walk, but they're not going to judge who you are. And I was like, me? Girl, no. Like, I don't know how to perform. I never did it. Luckily, there's online classes that week to prepare people that never did ballroom. We started with the classes where people could learn about the history, learn about ballroom categories, and also had one week a workshop for each category, also had lives, IG lives, so people could learn a little bit more about people in the scenes. 
My name is Anais Jir, also known as RISE007. I am one of the co-coordinators of the Ballroom for Community Program, uh, along with Alizé Old Navy, Alizé Desrosiers, um, which is a program for uh, Cutie BIPOC youth that we have developed, really just to get ballroom culture out um, to the community who might need it, so that they could have a space where they can truly, truly embrace themselves. So there's two types of boot camps that we're able to to be a part of. There was the Zoom one, and then there was the four day boot camp. I went to both. <laughs> so um, each teacher um, had their own way to teach the class. The one for body really went in and um, made us comfortable with our bodies. When I say comfortable with our bodies, um, she gave us a one minute time to find a place comfortable in our house and move like nobody's wa like watching. Not like a one, two step, but like hardcore metal head, like you're moving your whole body um, thing. And for me, that's when I knew that like, okay, I was putting myself in the box because I didn't want people to, to see me as big. Um, and she literally said that, she literally said like, yeah, like we always put ourselves in a box because, you know, we're supposed to be small and stuff. And I want you to express yourself and take space. And I was like, yes, I'm going to take space. <laughs> I'm going to take space all the time from that on, right? Um, that was an eye-opening for me. You know, like, if I'm in the metro and I'm sitting down, like, someone would not want to sit next to me. You know, or, like, if they sit next to me, they shrug a little bit or, like, they're, like, <sighs> like a little, like, oh, I'm taking too much space or something so that's uncomfortable that's not always nice to to feel also um clothing wise it's not fun either um i don't like going shopping retail because i don't feel i don't feel like i want to dig through all the packs of clothes to find nothing that fits me because curvaceous black bodies are not be standard for a lot of clothes um so my hips are not always fitting properly in the pants or like you're never gonna see like a cute outfit that's meant for a plus size woman it's always like really covered up or like really like grandma-ish looking however i've always been able to like you know be creative because i'm such a stubborn person but i had my my days that i felt like weak and i felt like yo i don't want to fight today i just want to look good can i just please can i i just want to sit down can i go sit down without being feel like she's too big to be sitting down like is it okay to sit down please so that's my experience but ballroom really was a space for me to escape you know it was therapy for me and it still is therapy for me It was called the Space Jam Kiki Ball. Um, and I was like, me be participating, competing. Also in big girl body. And like when you're walking body, like you have minimal to almost no clothes. Um, because you need to show your body. So it's like a bodybuilder. Like you need to showcase what you got. And like I said, I, I, ooh, no, I was so scared. <laughs> I was so scared all week. The day of the event, I was 
like running around getting my wig fixed getting my, my makeup um ready and everything i even told my mom um mom i'm going to perform and at the time she had no clue what ballroom was and she was like okay do your best i guess i don't know yay um, <laughs> i went by myself and i met like some people that i knew from the queer community and they asked me like is it your first ball and i was like yeah and i'm and i'm walking i'm scared They're like oh my god girl don't be scared you're gonna be great already like the supportive family feel was already there like people were like it's your first time girl let me help you put like oil on your body let me fix your makeup a little bit let me fix your eyelashes you know like it was like a community and even within the people competing like you didn't feel like people were competing backstage like people were helping each other i performed in a bikini as a plus size woman like just even saying it i need to take a moment to just like let it sink in <laughs> because a bikini and plus size bodies for me now it's normal like you know wow we love it uh before very nervous very anxious so when i went and i was walking in front of like five judges and just like showcasing my body i didn't feel judged i felt celebrated i felt like i was that person on stage just doing my thing and it was amazing so yeah that was my first experience and i won i won big girl body you know, first time, and, and I won. People were like, oh my god, you did so well. I don't remember what I did. <laughs> I know, I just know that I, I opened the, like, the, um, the drapes, and I walked. I don't know what I did, but I know that I, I felt good. It felt amazing. So that's why I got the bug, because of the sense of, like, you can be whoever you want to be. You can be your true self. Even if it's one person, found a space to truly feel safe and discover more of themselves, discover their voice, and just express. Like, we are so, such in a space where everything is so suppressed, so allowing for people to have a space to do that and to also connect, especially in times like these, and to develop their creativity and to truly own their difference and their uniqueness, that was really the end goal at the end of the day. For me, it was very important to respect the art. And through respecting the art, for me, it was important to learn more. And I feel like a lot of people, they just think like, okay, you can just walk and like be fierce and like everybody's going to admire you. No, like it's, you need to know the history. You need to know like who walked before you and who made it possible for you to be here. So it was really a space created by Black and Latinx trans women. And it's really to understand that this culture would not be what it is without them. The importance and place of a house in ballroom culture is really crucial. So uh, we have to understand the setting in which ballroom was created, which is really an outlet and a safe space for queer trans 
people of color and especially Latinx and black folks. So LGBTQ plus community uh, within that space and time, especially in New York. So taking into consideration the situation of the time, it's not safe to be walking around in society and fully embracing your identity some people were also in the street and had no place to be so basically mothers and families which are houses houses are families so these would be parents that choose to take those um, children and give them a safe space and allow them to grow within ballroom to discover themselves and really to have a, a safe space for them to be and grow they can also help them in any case maybe so financially within just understanding their body understanding their queerness their identity whichever it is so it's really an open space where people are really being taken and um, taken care of really so houses are born from that now they also allow you to identify and walk and that means to compete it allows people to walk as their family name so representing the house that they're from After my second Kiki ball, the, the house father of a house asked me if I wanted to be in the house because they really liked the way I perform and they really liked my energy. And I freaked out. I was like, oh my God, what? Being approached by a house my second time around performing, gagged, just deceased, just out of this world. Couldn't believe it. Um, and what made it even special like even more special is the fact that like the person that i competed with in big girl big boy body also got invited to be in that same house at the same time we were asked at the same time and we were just looking at each other like fangirl and we're like ah this is amazing look at us go she is like a magical ball of energy and i think that i am so grateful that she could take all of what she's been given as a way for her to seek and empower her own personal voice and that has all of her essence that's really shining through when she walks into the room like she she walks <laughs> and i'm really glad that she was able to develop that throughout this year that's like making my heart melt the red hearts outfit was my debut because that was my first time competing in a in, a, in ballroom as a member of the house so that was my debut so i really wanted to be extra my debut outfit is one that i love a lot because my mom helped me with that one it's a black bottom and love like red leather corset and i had a reveal because it was my debut and i wanted to be dramatic so my reveal was i had like the burlesque type of like pasties with like a like a string and I made, my mom and I made like heart shaped sequence. Um, and <laughs> we put it all, all over my body. So like when I did my reveal, I'll just be like glittery hearts everywhere. What made it special is that my grandma's in the living room making the hearts for me. I'm running around trying to do my makeup, trying to do my hair. My mom is just like trying to glue them on my body as I am. Like it was a full production. <laughs> it was a full team production. Um, and before I left, my mom and my grandma, they just looked at me and admired me. And in the Haitian community, 
like i'm very happy that my my mom expressed her love through like words words of affirmation but she does it with act of service as well and that was an act of service standing there looking at me with like admiration that really warmed my heart and like that made me really feel like i'm i'm doing something right i'm doing something that's good for me and i even had the strength to talk about more openly queer things with my mom as in like through watching ballroom because <laughs> after like my several performances my mom was like work it work it walk it walk it and now she she's like well i'm questioning what what does that mean we have like more open conversations you know um my mom always been uh open but it was kind of awkward to talk about it obviously because it's your mom like uh but um yeah no it really made us more comfortable talking about like queer stuff and like um understanding each other i don't think i would be the person i am today if, if it wasn't for um ballroom and now 24 7 you know um uh, when you're walking you're walking with a, like a strut like you know when you're posing waiting for the bus boom you know <laughs> Ballroom has hit so many places in my life and like has helped me like stand stronger than before without me being to, having to like always being that strong woman like I can cry and I still feel like the baddest bitch in the room because ballroom made me know that like every emotion every side of yourself is valid. That Doc was produced by Sherry O'KK and mixed by Tanara McLean. Those boot camps that Deanne attended and loved were part of Ballroom for Community, a program by Project 10. That's a nonprofit organization that is run by and offers support for 2S LGBTQIA youth in the greater Montreal area. That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Tanara McLean, Allison Cook, Kevin Ball, Joan Weber, and me. Althea Manassin is our digital producer, and our senior producer is Sherry OKK. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. Vogue. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.